2 Peter chapter 2. If you're able to stand, please stand with us tonight. And we're going to begin reading by just reading a, a couple of verses, and then we'll look at some more passages as we move along. In this passage in 2 Peter, uh, this epistle, really if you begin in chapter 2 and verse 1, it's an exhortation related to God's judgment. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment tonight. Try to focus your mind on that subject of God's judgment. You know, I'm glad to know as a child of God that we've not been appointed unto wrath. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? But that God will pour out His wrath. God has poured out His wrath. He poured out His wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's, not a, he's the same God. He's not a different God. He's the same God. And he is merciful, but there is a limit to his long-suffering. And so this is a passage, and it really uh, deals with false prophets, beginning in verse 1. But there are false prophets also among the people, Peter writes. And, and they're going to be influential. We're not going to really focus on that. Now, verse 2 says, many shall fall, follow their pernicious ways. Very true, even in the day in which we live in. And in verse 3, it says, Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment, so here we see this theme of judgment, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In other words, these false prophets are going to face judgment. They may not face it in... Now, they may not even face it in their lifetime, but they're going to face it. So that's the theme of judgment. Then verse, then verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. So he gives another example, and that is how God judged the angels. Lucifer was one of them. The archangel, they rebelled against God. He exalted, lifted himself up. God judged him. God judges pride. And then we see in verse 5, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So there God judged the entire world. With only Noah and his family that survived, correct? The entire world. It wasn't a local flood, it was a worldwide flood. And God judged the world. And verse 6 and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow. And notice this phrase, we'll come back to this in a moment, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And so we see the theme of Peter writing is, God is a judge, and God is just. God has judged, God will judge, and I know some people are sitting here thinking probably because you've never seen God pour out His wrath and we've seen all kinds of wickedness in our culture, in our world that, well, maybe God is never going to judge. But no, that's not true. God is going to judge. Amen. He has judged. He is a judge. And He will judge. And we're going to look at this theme of living in Sodom tonight with this idea. This will be the thought tonight. The influence of Sodom. Because what I want to target tonight is how, how Lot, who the Bible calls a just man and a righteous man, was influenced by Sodom. We, 
We may never change our culture, but we can keep the culture from changing us. So the influence of Sodom. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we study. Father, we need you tonight and we pray for your help. We thank you for the Word of God and we thank you for the Spirit of God who's our teacher. And Father, we come together tonight with a desire to know you better and to learn. So please, Lord, help us. Help us to rightly divide the Word of truth. Help us to be good stewards of our time. And help us not to waste this opportunity. We pray that you'd be glorified, that people would be helped. We pray that those that are here that are lost would be convicted of their need to be saved. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's good to see you on this Sunday night. I, I, th- I love the Sunday night service. By the way, didn't the young people do a good job tonight? What a blessing. Maybe by down the road somewhere we'll have one of them up here preaching. Right? Yep. Our folks would like that, especially if the sermon was shorter. (laughs) Look with me, if you would, please, in verse 6, where it talks about how God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. In the last part of verse 6, it says, making them an ensample. Now, that's not a misspelled word in your Bible. Example is a different word than ensample. And the word ensample means a pattern. It means like something that we would learn from, something that would be an exhibit that we could learn from. He, may, he wants, he want, God wants Sodom and Gomorrah to be an example, an ensample, a something we can look at and learn from. And so I hope you'll keep that in mind uh, this evening. And uh, look, out, turn a few pages to the right to Jude, a little book of Jude right before Revelation. And... Notice what it says, then here it uses the word example, but Jude verse 7. Also, a much, much in the book of Jude about judgment. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, keep in mind that little phrase, the cities about them. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication... And going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So God didn't just do this to Sodom and Gomorrah to say for us to understand, hey, I did this once, you know, you you can know it's a historical event, but you don't have to ever think about learning any lessons from it. No, just to the contrary, God said, we're to learn from that. We're to look at the story the record of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his and, and what happened there is an example. And God, regardless of how permissive and tolerant our society becomes, God will judge sin. Now let's go back to Second Peter chapter two, and I want us to begin to think about well, if that's the case, if we're to learn from Sodom, what lessons should we learn from Sodom? And Sodom, of course, as we already said in 2 Peter chapter 2, was an example for those who live in that wicked lifestyle. But it's also another another thing we see. Look in verse 7. Not only did God judge them in verse 6, but verse 7 says, and delivered God. He judged them, made them an example in verse 6, and delivered just Lot. 
not just Lot like only Lot, but just as Lot was considered a just person. He was he had a relationship with God, I believe that, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So there's another theme in that, and that is God is able to deliver His people. He delivered Lot, amen? When the whole society, the whole city was going to be destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah in those cities, He delivered Lot. Now look in verse 9, it says this, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God knows how to judge the unjust, and He knows how to deliver His own people. Aren't you glad about that? That's God's business. God can do that. But God, again, will judge the ungodly. We read this in verse 9. Look at it again. It says, uh, last part of verse 9, to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment. To be punished. But look in verse 10. The sentence continues there from 9 to 10. But chiefly, the word chiefly there means especially or particularly. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities... And so especially he's going to be able to judge those who walk in all kinds of uncleanness. So we see this, these examples. God is able to deliver the just. God will judge the ungodly. But then this example, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Because we see in the example of Lot and the destruction of Sodom how much influence a culture can have even on God's people, and Lot being one of them. It says in verse 7, if you look there, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, for many of us, I believe this sincerely, maybe most of us, this is the most important lesson for us to learn from the life of Lot and the destruction of Sodom. Yes, God is going to judge those who need to be judged. Yes, God is able to deliver those that belong to Him. But I I think we need to be cautious about the influence that a Sodom-like culture can have upon us. And we see this in Lot's life. We see how Sodom influenced him. It had, a, it had a terribly negative influence on him. Now keep in mind, who was Lot? Lot was Abram's or Abraham's nephew. Now Abraham was not just any man in the Old Testament. He was a man known for his faith, right? A man of great faith. Uncle, imagine Uncle Abraham. Uncle Abraham, who the Bible says was a friend of God. He walked with God. Imagine being a nephew and you have an uncle that was renowned for his faith in God, who was selected by God from the Ur of the Chaldees, who became the father of a nation of people of faith, Israel. So Lot has this opportunity. He lived near him. He, was, he traveled with, Lot, with Abraham. He could be greatly influenced by Abraham. Or he could be influenced 
by Sodom. So we're going to talk about how Sodom influenced Lot. Now, before we do that, let's ask, answer this question. Did Lot, did Lot influence Sodom? I mean, Sodom was a wicked place, right? He was a just man. Look, in, look at our Bible, verse 7 there. He was a just man, delivered just Lot. Look in verse 8. It says, uh, that righteous man, talking about Lot, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. You would think, we would think, that Lot, a just, righteous Man, a godly man, would have some influence on Sodom. Wouldn't you think that? That he would have some influence, but is there any record of that? Did that happen? As a matter of fact, just the opposite happened. Lot was affected by them. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep our Bible open here in 2 Peter chapter 2. But let's go in our Bibles back over to Genesis where we have the record of Lot's life, in particular, the visitation of these angels to Sodom. Look in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And we're just going to look, and some of this stuff, really, to be honest about it, is so twisted, you almost hate talking about it in church. But we're just going to look at it and be discreet as we do. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, we have this record in verse 1 of these angels who visited Sodom at even. And we're just going to look at some verses. Here's the, here's the thing we're talking about. How did, how did Sodom influence Lot? Look in verse 8. We have these words. Lot is speaking. These two angelic beings have visited him. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Two virgin daughters. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Now, we could say, well, Lot was a man who was observing this Eastern cultural tradition of hospitality and things of that nature. But I'm telling you, it's a twisted line of thinking that would send your two virgin daughters out to a mob of sexual perverts. I'm saying Lot was affected by his living there. And uh, he looked a little further in chapter 19 and verse 15. Now the, now the angels are trying to get them out of Sodom because God's about to destroy it. Look in verse 15. It says this, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot. They were in a hurry. Saying, Arise, Take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Lot's got his hands full trying to get a wife and two daughters ready and out the door. That's not an easy thing to do. Amen. Verse 16. My wife and I just had a conversation about this recently. Uh, And while he lingered, notice that, while he lingered. here, Here God's about to rain fire and brimstone on his city, and he's dragging his feet. The men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. I'm just talking about, here Lot is, 
He's messed up in his head. He's got a twisted line of thinking. And he's reluctant to get out of Sodom. He's dragging his feet. You'd think a godly man, a righteous man, would think, I can't wait to get out of this wicked city. But that's not the case. Also in chapter 19, in verse 9, we see something else about the way Lot was affected. In verse 9 it says, just look at the last part of the verse. Talking about these perverts outside the door. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. See, he's in this wicked society, but make no mistake. He doesn't have the respect of those people. I'm, the question is, did he, did he change Sodom? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They don't respect him. And his whole family is going to be adversely affected. Look in verse 14. Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But what did his sons-in-law do? Sure, we respect you, Dad. Whatever, whatever you believe God wants us to do, we're on board. Is that what they said? No. It's, he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They didn't respect him. They mocked him. I'm just telling you, here's a righteous man, a godly man, that is being corrupted by the culture he lives in, so much so that he's got this twisted thinking of what's right and wrong. The, the community around him doesn't respect him. His sons-in-laws don't respect him. And, and I'm coming back to this. God says, let this be an example unto you. Let this be an example to you. And, and I, I don't mean to be uh, crude in saying this or disrespectful or sarcastic, but if you don't think we're living in a culture that's getting more and more like Sodom, I don't know what world you're living in. We're living in it. And God says, let that be an example to you. You're to learn from that. I'm to learn from this. We're to, we're to gain information and, and, uh, and, and insight from it. So the sons-in-law mocked him. And um, what about his daughters? How did they turn out? Look in chapter 19, if you would, in verse 30. This is after they leave, after they escape the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 19 in verse 30. And Lot went up unto Zoar and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Here Lot is. living in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And then skip down to verse 36, if you would. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. How depraved is their thinking? These two, these two women in the home of a righteous and just man. How twisted are they? They get their father drunk. I'm talking about the influence of Sodom. Can you not see what, what influence Sodom had on this family? And by the way, think about their offspring. 
If you look on in verse 37 and verse 38, the children born to these daughters, one of them was the name Moab, the father of the, the children of the Moabites, and the other was named, um, she called his name Benami, which is the father of the Am- Ammonites, the descendants of Ammon. These, are, these offspring became enemies of Israel. In this story, in this an encouraging story, you've got a godly man, you've got a man who is just, a righteous man, he's living in an ungodly world, and this ungodly world is twisting him and shaping him and conforming him, not to what God wants him to be, but to what the world wants him to be. And he can't even get it together, get out of Sodom, his daughters are messed up, and his wife... You know, what happened to her? Look in verse 17. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, they brought Sodom and his family out of Lot. That He said, escape for thy life, run for your life. Look, don't, look not behind thee. Just four simple words. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Pretty simple, right? But look in verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. You know why she became a pillar of salt? Because she disobeyed, right? I wonder how many people, God says do this and they say, well, you know, it's kind of like an option. I might or I might not. I'm telling you, when God says do something, we ought to take it serious. She turns into a pillar of salt. She can't, she, why is she looking back to Sodom? I'll tell you why. It, it, this is what it's a picture of. It'd be like a person who's saved that God has taken out of this world the rapture of believers. And, all, and they're looking back at this world thinking, oh, I can't stand to leave this place. That's what it'd be like. And by the way, there are a lot of people, unless they have a change of heart, that's how they'd be. Because they're more excited and comfortable and attached to this world than they are that world. And that's the story of how Sodom influenced Lot. But how did it come to pass? How, how did it come to pass? Um, I want to... I wanna, ask you to think about this. I mean, anybody with the right mind can listen to what I've said already and say, Lot got messed up. Would you agree with that? He got messed up. His wife got messed up. His sons-in-laws were messed up. His daughters were messed up. Lot was messed up. But it's not because you say, well, that's what Sodom did. In a way, Sodom influenced him, but it's not because of what Sodom did. It's because of what Lot did. And we see this in the scripture. It's what Lot did. Let's look at a few things. If you're still in Genesis, go left a little bit to Genesis chapter 13. And this is the beginning place for Lot's relationship with Sodom. And we talked about this two weeks ago, so we won't talk much about it. But Abraham and Lot, if you, Abram and Lot, if you look in verse 8 of Genesis 13, there's this strife going on between Uncle Abraham and Lot, his nephew. And they've just come out of Egypt and they've really prospered while they're there. And it, it says in verse 8, 
Uh, Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Lot, you go your own way. If thou take the left hand, Abraham says, I'll take the right. If you depart to the right hand, I'll depart to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. It was a beautiful, lush place before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The the raining of fire and brimstone forever changed the appearance, the cult, the... the, uh, landscape there in that part of the country. But before that, it says in verse 10, it was as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So Lot chose, in verse 11, all the plain of Jordan. And he journeyed east. They separated themselves. And Abraham dwelled, it says in verse 12, in Canaan. So how did this all start? It started by choices that Lot made. And the first choice he made was to live near Sodom. That was his choice. I want to, I want to, I, I want, you know what he gave himself? Please, this is a very simple thought, but he gave himself what he wanted. And you know what? That is the driving motivation for many decisions of adults and young people. I just want what I want. Give me what I want. That's, a, that's kind of a bad line of reasoning. But that was Lot's thinking. He put himself first. And notice what it says then in verse 12. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. He wasn't in Sodom. He was just just facing Sodom. Um, But if you look further into the story, look for instance in chapter 14 and verse 12. This is when Lot and his family had been taken captive by these, this uh, confederation of armies. We're not get into that. But 1412 it says, And they took Lot, these armies did, Abraham's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom. Just a simple phrase, but he's not living outside of Sodom now. It says he dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So he's gone from liking the territory to living near Sodom to living in Sodom. And if you look over where we were a moment ago in chapter 19 in verse 1, just a simple verse, it says, when these two angels came to Sodom, Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. He's, he's out there where they're transacting business, talking about business affairs, where all the news is. That's, that's Lot. Now look up here and think about this. Lot is not just dwelling near Sodom. He's living in Sodom. He's sitting at the gate of Sodom. He's interested in the affairs of Sodom. He's becoming more and more like Sodom. Can you see that? It's a Bible. Do you think think it was a surprise when these people came knocking on Lot's door and said, bring those men out here, we want them. Do you think that was a surprise? No. That's the reason he insisted that they come into his house, to prevent that from happening. He knew what they were like. He was around them all the time. And that's the whole point. We're wondering what happened to Lot. What happened to Lot was not Sodom's fault. It was Lot's fault. He was too closely related to those Sodomites. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look in chapter... I think it's chapter 19. 
Let's look there, please, for a moment. Maybe you're still there. And he called them, he called them his brethren. Look in verse 7, there it is. And I was having to find it. Chapter 19, verse 7. And said, I pray you, he's talking to these perverts who are trying to beat down the door. I pray you, brethren. He called them his brethren. Lot is being influenced by Sodom. He he was closely related to the, the Sodomites. He allowed his children to be adapted into the culture of Sodom. You know, as parents... We ought to be very concerned with our children becoming too too closely connected to a godless culture. Parents ought to sit up and think about this. You know what our interest in this culture ought to be? We want to win them to Christ. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to pattern our lives after them. This is what happened in Lot's house. Lot allowed his children to be too closely connected. Now let's go back to 2 Peter where we began in chapter 2. And let's, let's look again at this passage. And we get more insight from the scripture about what happened to Lot. How Sodom influenced Lot. And we're not going to... Spend a whole lot of time on this, but we want to move through it fairly quickly. But it's important. Second Peter chapter... Because if I, if I was sitting here tonight and someone asked me... That we were talking a moment ago before the church about... It, it's, there's no doubt this is what's happening in our world. We're living in this. And they're, and they're trying to force it down our throat. And make us accept it. And many, many people... All right, I'm not even people who claim to be saved people are accepting this stuff, this alternate lifestyle stuff. I'm telling you, it's not of God. It's not of God. So we we can we we believe that, we say that, but how are we supposed to live in it? How are, we can't there's not another place, there's not another planet we can go live in. How are we going to live in it? Well, notice what it says. This is what happens in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse, verse 6 and verse 7. It says in verse 7, And delivered just lot, vexed, I want to emphasize the word vexed, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. From day to day. Now what does that mean? He vexed his soul. What is his soul? His soul is his inner life. His soul is his his spiritual life. It vexed his soul. The spirit of Lot was being vexed. Now what does the word vexed mean? It means he's being worn down. He's being oppressed. Sometimes the word vexed means to torture. And it could very well be that it would describe what Lot was going through. His soul was being vexed. He lived in this world and his spiritual life was being tormented. His spiritual life was being oppressed. 
It was being worn down. You know what? I think that's a pretty good description of what happens in the world. And, and if you think it doesn't affect you, you're, you're mistaken. It affects everybody that lives in this world. It wears you down spiritually. And if you're home in it, then, then you're closer to what Lot was. And I don't say that to be mean. I'm just telling you the, the facts. This world has a negative effect on us, and we have to be careful about it. And look what he says. It was vexing him. Look in verse 7. Delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Filthy. It's sinful. It's, it's shameless. The word conversation is not just language. It's not just verbiage. Conversation is behavior, conduct. The manner of life, the manner of life in the world, the filthy lifestyle of the world, and he uses this in verse 7, the filthy conversation of the wicked. And that's an interesting word, wicked. The Greek word that's translated here as wicked is only used twice in the New Testament, and it means lawless. Lawlessness. Without any respect for God's laws. The world he lived in was a lawless world. They rejected God's truth. They were wicked. They were vile. And it was affecting him. Amen. Verse 8 says, For that righteous man dwelling among them. He lived right among them. Living alongside them. It's taking his toll on Lot. Look in verse 8. This is such... Graphic descriptive language. Verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. Through his eye gate, his ear gate, what he saw, what he heard. Dwelling among them. The images he saw, the sensual image he saw, the ungodly things were played out before him. Those things he saw, the immoral things, what he listened to, the profanity, the perversion, the pridefulness, the worldliness, all that stuff is wearing Lot down. Right? You think it doesn't happen to you? Sure it does. Why don't we be honest about it? It has a negative effect on us. The same is true of us. Sometimes it's at work. But whether we realize realize it or not, sometimes it's the radio we listen to, the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the television we watch, and where our minds are being infiltrated by this worldly system that's bringing us down and wearing us down, and we wonder, why, would, why don't I have the passion for the Word of God I used to? Why don't I have a burden to serve God like I used to? What happened? You know, maybe, God's just, maybe God has just brought me to a place that I'm not to be on fire for God. No, maybe the world is just wearing you down. It happens. It happens. Notice what it says in verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. Notice this. From day to day with their unlawful deed. You see, it doesn't happen overnight. It's just a daily wear on your soul. A daily erosion until finally, finally, you find yourself in a place where you can sit in church like on a night like tonight and nothing really seems to touch you. Nothing really, you know, you're not really concerned about your children. You're not really concerned about your family. I think Lot was there. 
Lot was at that place. He wasn't, he, you know, he had just been lost. His spiritual life had gone away from him till his wife was attached to Sodom, his girls were attached to Sodom. And yes, God got him out of Sodom. But the unfortunate thing was Sodom was still in him. God doesn't intend for us to be like this. So it's just a day by day wearing us down, eroding our values. And and again, he used that phrase in the last part of verse 8, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. What What a descriptive phrase of our society that is godless, who has no regard for the law of God. Doesn't respect the law of God. I want to tell you, that may be the world, but that's not to be our life. That's not to be the way we live our life. It has an effect on us. It it makes us spiritually dull. That's the best way I know to describe it. It dulls our life spiritually. I don't know if you feel this way. Maybe you don't. But I feel this way. I long sometimes for the tender heart I had as a new Christian where I just wept to hear about the cross and seeing hymns. You know what I'm saying? I, some people say, well, I, I was, that was that part of my life. I don't need that anymore. I don't feel that way. I want to have a heart for God. I want to have a tenderness for the things of God. I want to have a broken heart. I want to be concerned as a father, as a grandfather, about what is happening to our children. So this is a warning. And it's a strong warning. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. He, Peter ends this epistle with this warning. Notice this. You therefore, brethren, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. It's a warning. Don't let this happen to you. The negative effect of lawlessness. So how can we keep this from happening? Surely every true Christian would want to keep this from happening. How can we avoid this culture? How can we keep this culture from pressing us into its mold? Let me say, first of all, we have to want to maintain a godly life and a godly testimony. I mean, I think the first thing people ought to ask is, who am I really? Am I really a child of God? You know, are you really saved? If the things of this world mean more to a person than the things of God, they have legitimate reason to ask themselves, have I truly been saved? If I looked at Lot without the testimony of Scripture, I would venture to say probably not a saved man. But the Bible says otherwise. It ought to matter to us what our testimony is like. I'm I'm not just being mean to Lot. Look at his testimony. Look at his testimony. The people of this perverted society felt right at home with him, and he felt right at home with them. 
I'm, don't, don't start thinking, well, don't you think we're to witness to them? Yes, we're to be light to them. Yes, we're to witness to them. But we're not to be like them. We ought to be concerned about our testimony, your testimony before your family. Lot had lost his testimony before his family. What about your testimony before your church? You said it doesn't matter. I beg to differ with you. It does matter. If you can say it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Every adult ought to be a living example to every young person about what it means to love God and serve God with their life. But Lot didn't care about his testimony. Well, so I'm saying, first of all, we, gotta, we have to want to live a godly life. A person who loves the world has a serious spiritual problem. And the case of Lot, the case of Lot, if we try to side with the Lord and, be a, and at the same time be a friend of the world, we send a mixed message, right? We send a mixed message. Imagine this. Imagine a father... Sitting down with his children and having a conversation with his children, it goes something like this. Look, we're Christians. We love the Lord. And God ought to come first. And church is going to be important to us. But, but I want you to learn something as a child. You know, there are going to be times when soccer practice is more important than church. And... Uh, Going to the ball game is more important than church. And, or watching your favorite team is more... Can you imagine a parent teaching their child that? You say, well, I'd never... T-, but if, we, if, we, if they follow our example, they see it. We have to decide. We, we, as parents, we ought to decide this is a wicked world and we want to win this world and we want to pray for these people that are saved and we want to love them, we want to give them the gospel, but we want to do everything we can to keep the world from molding us and shaping us. None of us are perfect. But I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart, if we are going to be what we're supposed to be in a Sodom-like society we need to be strong in our commitment to God and the principles of the word of God and then second of all not only must we want the lifestyle but number two we must recognize the power and the pull of the world parents we've got to take this seriously and many of our parents do take it seriously but we have to take it seriously you know, here's how you could describe Lot. He lacked the discernment to recognize how danger, dangerous his proximity to Sodom was. He did not have the discernment. And if you think, if you think filling your home with the world's entertainment and giving your child a smartphone where they can access almost anything there is, if you think that that won't have a negative effect on them, you're mistaken. It's a lack of discernment. He lacked biblical discernment. He lacked biblical reasoning. And I know, we, we kind of think, well, you know, we can influence the world. Let me tell you what the Bible says. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It never says that the whole lump will be filled because of the absence of leaven. No, the leaven will permeate the lump. 
We're not, the Bible never tells us. We need to know what the Bible says. The Bible never tells us, leave the leaven, it will be okay. No, it says remove the leaven. But you know what Christians want to do? They want to keep the leaven. The things that are not of God, the things that are just put, they're going to keep that around. It's like having a rattlesnake as a pet. We're going to keep it around. It's pretty. It's, I don't think it's ever going to bite us. I was thinking about the passage, and I'm not going to turn to it tonight, in Haggai, where Haggai was describing what was going on in his day. And here's a hypothetical question. Please see if you can follow along this. He asked the question, if one bears holy flesh, if he's carrying some dedicated flesh, a sacrifice, in his garment, if he bears, it's holy, it's separated, it's sanctified, it belongs to God. If a man bears holy flesh in his garment, but with his garment he touches bread, the Bible says, or pottage, or, or oil, or meat, when he has holy flesh and he touches something else like meat, will it make that meat holy? And the Bible answers the question. The priest knew the answer. They said no. If you have something holy and it touches something unholy, it'll never make the unholy holy. And then he goes on and says this. What if one is unclean? And he gives the example. They've touched a dead person, a dead body. If you touch a dead body, you're, you're considered unclean for a period of time. What if, what if someone is unclean because they've touched a dead body, and he says, and they touch meat? Will, what will happen if the unclean touches the meat? And you know what he says? It'll become unclean. Now I want to tell you something today. This is the Bible. This is not my opinion. This is the Bible. Something that's holy will not make something unholy holy. But something that is unholy, that touches something that's holy, will make it unholy. Read it in Haggai. And you know what God says? So is this nation before me. And everything they touch, because they're unclean, it's unclean. I'll tell you, is to me, this thing about living in Sodom is a serious thing. I've been dwelling on this in my mind for a long time and just started teaching on it a few weeks ago. And the series is only going to be a short series. But there's so many professing Christians that are at home in this world. They're comfortable with this world. They're welcoming to the philosophies of this world. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, and He prayed this in John chapter 17, you know, that we're be sanctified... And that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not of the, this world is not our home. That's not a Bible verse. It's a song, but it's a good song. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Now, if you're here and you're, and you're unsaved, you don't know what it means to be saved. You're probably thinking, this is a lot of strange stuff coming at me tonight. But listen with me carefully. This, is the, this world is the only world you know anything about. But once you get saved, you read your Bible, you, study, you realize there's a whole better world out there that we're going to one of these days. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We don't, we don't have any anchors here. Young people, I, I feel for our young people. 
because they're filling their mind with all this sports junk and all these things that are popular in the music and the fads and the fashions of the world, and they just think that's the way it's supposed to be. But I want to tell you, there is a better guide to how we're to live than what comes off of Netflix or some other source of media, and it's the Bible. You say, well, you're old-fashioned. Well, I don't know that's a bad thing to be. But we're not old-fashioned for old-fashioned's sake. It's just we believe the Bible is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. What is lacking in our lives sometimes, and I would put myself in that sometimes. I'm not exempt from any of these things. But what's lacking in our lives sometimes was lacking in Lot's life. And that's a lack of discernment and a lack of understanding about the wisdom of separation and living separated lives. I read the other day where someone said this. It was not a a preacher, I don't think. I think it was like a man from history, from American history. But he said this, don't remove a fence until you know why it was there. A lot of wisdom in that. People tearing down fences everywhere. They don't like these restrictions. Maybe you ought to ask why they're there before you go tearing them down. Now, I know I'm getting close to home maybe for some people, but a lot of people who say that they're saved, separation has become a bad word to them. It's not a bad word. The Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. That's what the Bible says. People, we we need to get back to an appreciation of what the Bible says. So how can we keep this Sodom-like culture from influencing us? Number one, we have to want to live a godly life. Number two, we have to recognize the power and pull of the world. Respect it, recognize it. And number three, we need to feed and nurture the inner man. Every one of us, I know you probably think, well, the preacher, you don't have to deal with these temptations. You just seclude yourself in the office and listen to hymns all day and you never have to deal with sin. I want to tell you, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. That's probably just an excuse the devil has put in your mind to make you feel good about your compromise that nobody else has to go through that stuff. But I'm telling you, everybody has to face it. Everyone does. And we need to be feeding our inner man because the world is trying to tear it down. You, if, you were to, if you would honestly look, young person, think about this. How much time you spend on social media, watching games, things of that nature, sports, etc., compared to how much time you spend with God in the Word of God? No wonder, no wonder your spiritual life is either very minimal or non-existent. You say, how do I feed and nurture the inner man? Number one, spend time every day in prayer in the Word of God. Every day. Every day. Spend time in the Word of God. Number two, confess sin. Confess your sin. Don't pamper yourself. Don't excuse your sin, whether it's pride or selfishness or whatever it is. Call it what it is. Confess it and get it out of your life. Number three, guard your spirit. Guard your spirit. To be discerning. Number four, recognize and resist compromise. Day by day, little compromises lead to spiritual ruin. It's not a Bible term, but it's a practical 
understandable principle. It's a slippery slope. Once you get on that slope of, of making excuses for disobedience, it's a slippery slope. Resist those compromises. Number five, fellowship with godly people. I'm talking about real fellowship. Where you talk about the things of God. Not just we're going to get together and we're going to cook out. Nothing wrong with cooking out. We're going to get together and watch a ball game. Nothing wrong with watching a ball game. But that's not fellowship. Fellowship's where you talk about spiritual things. Your spiritual life. How can my life be better? Help me. I want to be accountable to you in this area of my life. I'm struggling in this area of my life. Would you help me be accountable? That's spiritual fellowship. And number six, faithful church attendance. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here. At least you got right on number six. You're here tonight. But we need it. You know, I, I do live a different life than many of you. My whole life is in the ministry. But I'm telling you, Wednesday nights, very often, this past Wednesday night was a classic example. Wednesday nights are a spiritual boost for me. And it's not because I'm preaching the sermon, it's because I'm around God's people and we're singing praises to God and I'm feeding my spirit. Why do you need that? All of us need it, but especially we need it. That's why Hebrews says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a man of some but so much the more as you see the day approaching. The more, the longer, the further we get down this road, the more we need church, not the less we need church. Maybe, maybe I'm off target. Maybe, maybe we're on the verge of a great nationwide revival. President Trump said he's causing it the other day. <laughs> I like him, but he embarrasses me sometimes. <laughs> but I don't see it. I don't see this great awakening. When you got more and more people adopting worse and worse lifestyles. It's creeping into the church. Pastors who are... Pastors who live the very lifestyle that that was in Sodom and Gomorrah that caused God to rain fire and brimstone. I'm telling you, we live in a bad place. Can we turn this culture around? Maybe one life at a time we can turn it around by getting people saved. But I'm not counting on seeing America becoming like the world that my grandparents grew up in. I wish it would happen, but I don't see it. But here's what I do see. We have a responsibility as parents, as church leaders, to prepare our children, to teach them, to take their spiritual life seriously, to help keep Sodom from overtaking their life. And you have a responsibility as a man or a woman, single or married, you have a responsibility as an adult to keep that Sodom-like pressure from bringing you down. Do you say, preacher, can it happen? Absolutely it can happen. It can happen that... It can happen that we, we've seen it happen in people's lives. It's heartbreaking to think about. But I'll tell you what else you'll see. You can see that there are people who take God's word seriously and take their spiritual responsibility seriously, who can live for God 
have a good testimony, have, a, have an impact in people's lives, and not become like this world. Aren't you glad for that? Thank God for it. Living, I feel like we're living in Sodom. That's what I feel like. Amen? Not happy about it. What an opportunity to be saved. To live for the Lord. To tell people about Christ. Amen?